Good afternoon, church. I want us to start this afternoon by listening to these truths. There are some statistics I want to share with you. They're sad, but they're true. Today, 50% of Americans are living beyond our means. 50% of Americans are spending more money than what we make. That's half of us here in this church today. 50%. Today, there are more bankruptcies than there are college graduates. 60% of all Americans do not have an emergency fund. They have no savings whatsoever. The average American today, the average American family carries about $16,000 worth of credit card debt. Today, we are saving half as less money as we did only a generation before us. And yet we are making twice as much. See, the truth is that we are living beyond our means. When it comes to our finances, we are being fools. When it comes to money, foolish decisions will only ever result in a tragic end. Solomon, in Proverbs 1, verses 32 to 33, says this, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without the dread of of disaster. If we continue to be fools of the way we handle our finances, it will turn out to be a disaster. But Solomon says, but if you listen to me, if you're wise... You will be at ease. You will be secure. Today we start the second half of our series on being wise about our finances. So, how do you know if you're being a fool when it comes to your finances? How do you know if you're not being wise on your spending, how you're spending your money? If you answer yes, or if you fill into one of these categories I'm about to share with you, then you're a fool. If you are spending money you don't have yet, if you are spending money on a Christmas bonus you think you're going to get or a raise that you wish you would get, you're a fool. If you're spending more money than you are making, you're a fool. Do me a favor, guys. Every time I say a statement or a comment, I want you guys to respond saying, you're a fool. If you're spending more money than what you make, if you think making more money will solve your financial problems, if you think that money can make you happy and bring security, and truth is, most of us think this. Most of us are living a foolish way when it comes to our finances. My prayer today is that we wise up, that we stand up, that we wake up and realize that God did not intend for us to be, uh, with our finances to be a burden to us. He intended for us to enjoy the fruits of our labor. Today is a day that we start doing something to maybe bring a change and for us to control our finances and not let our finances control us. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit about 
wisdom when it comes to debt, wisdom when it comes to making a living, a wise way of giving when it comes to our money. And then we're going to finish off by how we should handle or manage our possessions. What should we look for in the future? What should we save for? But today we're going to focus on our perspective of money, how we should view our money, how we should enjoy what God has given us. See, because when we have the wrong perspective of money, when we long after money, when we greed after money, then our perspective is all turned upside down. See, I've seen money tear families apart. Money, or not being able to use our money wisely, causes divorces in a lot of the families. We need to set our minds straight. We need to wise up and handle our finances properly. What I want to do today is I want to share with you four foolish ways of thinking about our money. Four myths, four lies that we've believed. And then I want to share with you four truths about our money. How to wisely use what God has given us to be able to be free from any financial burden that we may have. See, Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. He knew that money would be a burden to us. He knew that money would be our God. And what I want to share with you today is that the only thing we should strive after is him. The only truth is him. So we're going to be looking at the wisdom books. In particular, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 10 through 20. Let me open up in prayer before we jump into God's word. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for allowing us to gather here today as your church. Father, we ask that this time together glorifies you, Father, and that just brings honor to your name. And we seek for your word, Father, for your wisdom. Open up our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Father, I ask that I step aside and just let these words be yours and not mine. And above all, Father, as your word says, I ask that we are doers of your word, not just hearers, that we leave here and apply these truths so that we can live a wise and godly manner when it comes to our finances, Father. Again, I ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. So bear with me, guys. I'm new to this. I've messed up twice with this apparatus in the first two services. So let's see if I get this right this time. Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, it looks good. This, guys, is wisdom right here. This is wise. Anyways, that's what happens when you give me control of the slide. So Ecclesiastes 5, I'm going to start with verse 10. We'll be looking at verse 10 through 20. If you guys don't have your Bible with you, you can grab a Bible in the pew, and you can find uh, today's passage in page 555. It starts off like this. Solomon says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This, he says, also is vanity. My first point, my first unwise way of thinking, my first myth is that money satisfies. We believe that money satisfies. We think that 
money will satisfy the need that we have inside of us. So we think by making money, we can buy stuff that'll make us happy. The more money we can make, the more stuff we can buy. We long for that bigger house, that new house, that luxury car, anything, the new iPhone, and, and, and everything's okay with that. But when we seek and search after that, and when we feel that that satisfies us, then that's when it becomes unwise. See, the truth is money will not satisfy you. The more you make, the more you try to be satisfied, the less satisfied you will be. We all have this longing inside of us. We all long for something. We all want to fill a certain void we might have within us. And we feel that money will do that. I was reading uh, some interesting facts. Michael Jackson, probably one of the best-known international, uh, worldly pop singer, he made millions, and he purchased all these things, which I think he was trying to do to satisfy some sort of need. And yet when he died, all he did was pass over huge debt to his family. Nicolas Cage bought I don't know how many planes and automobiles and houses, and yet four years ago, he filed for bankruptcy. $14 million worth of bankruptcy or debt he had. See, they were seeking to make money to try to satisfy some need that they had inside of them. And no matter how much they made, no matter how much they bought, they were never satisfied. I remember about seven years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, before I became a believer, I had that need inside of me as well. I was focused on making money. My number one priority in life was to be rich. I had my business. I had customers. And money started coming in. And I bought a house. And I had parties. And I invited friends, thinking that that would satisfy the need I had inside me. Because I had a void, I had a need, and nothing that I bought, no matter how much money I had made, it would not satisfy my heart. I was living like a fool. And as shared with some of you before, it's not till one day that I walked into a Starbucks, and this gentleman was reading his Bible, and I walked up to him, and I asked him, what is it that you're reading? And he showed me God's worth, and a week later, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And then that void that I felt, that void that I was trying to meet by buying stuff and working hard and making more money was completely filled up because I truly realized who could truly satisfy that urge and that need. It was Jesus Christ. And not only was I satisfied and he filled that void, I started overflowing with joy. And I want nothing else but to seek after him, long for him. My desire was to be more like Jesus Christ. Money does not satisfy us. Money will never satisfy us. Only he can truly satisfy any need that you may have. Psalm 42.1 says this, As a deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you, O God. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
We should long for his righteousness. We should search for him. Not long and search for money. It will not satisfy you. Who or what are you longing for? What is it that you're turning to to satisfy whatever need you might have? Because see, things of this world might satisfy you temporarily, but only he can satisfy you for eternity. Money is not the answer to satisfy our needs. Solomon goes on in verse 11, he says this. He says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? My second point is money solves problems. Money solves problems. If you think that, then you're a fool. Money does not solve problems. We might think, oh, if I only got the lotto, if I only, was, if I only were rich, I'd have all my problems taken care of. But the truth is, the more you make, the more problems you acquire. The less satisfied you are, and more problems come to be. Money does not solve your problems. Going, going back to my testimony, we had purchased this house. We moved into this new house because I was making the money. I had bought the cars, was driving. I had a Jeep. I had a truck. I had a BMW. My wife wasn't working. I was happy. But yet, the more I had to maintain my style of living, the more I had to work. And unbeknownst to me, I was foolish not to realize the problems I was causing at my home. My kids never saw their dad. My wife was longing for her husband, but yet I needed to work to make them happy. But I realized that the more I worked, the more problems I got. The more money I made, the more problems that it came with. Then slowly but surely, God started peeling away things in my life that were distracting me from him because that was my prayer. I became a believer and I wanted to search after him. I wanted to um, tell the world who he was. So our business started going down. I lost customers. I started selling my cars. I told my wife to get a job because I still felt that I needed to live a certain way. I needed to maintain a certain status of living. I couldn't afford it anymore, but I was foolish. I got a second job. I started selling insurances. My wife was make bracelets to sell just so we could maintain our lifestyle. How many of you today are doing that? How many of you are trying to work and struggle and at the end of the month you don't have anything to show for? As a matter of fact, you're anxious, you're desperate because you're not making enough money to maintain your lifestyle. I was a fool. Are you? See, God has given us what we need. We should be happy what we have. And there's nothing wrong with making money or buying toys or buying new houses. There's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong is that when we're living beyond our means, we should be able to budget what God has given us. And I started to realize that. I realized that, wait a second, this is a burden for me. Money is bringing me more problems. 
So I sat down and started budgeting where we needed to be. I looked up Dave Ramsey. I got wisdom from God's word. And little by little, I started to work and live within our means. Church, we need to start. If you are there today, we need to start seeing how we can cut back and live with what God has given us. Inside your, your worship guide, there's an insert. It's a, it's a budget sheet. Looks something like that. It's called the basic budget sheet. And what it is, is a way for, for a household to see how they are spending their money. And what's biblical, what's the right way of living is that we should be living on 80% of what we make. 80%. Not 120, 80%. 10% we should tithe, we should give right off the bat. The other 10% we should save, we should invest, and we should live within 80% of our income. So this worksheet, this budget sheet that you have, we encourage you, we ask you that you go home and sit down and work on it. If you're in a small group, this is your lesson plan. This week, you're not going to meet with your small groups. You're going to sit down and work on your budget. And if you're not, work on it anyways. It is time for us to take control of our our finances. So the way it works, and I'll give you an example. You can see several categories on your, on your budget sheet. And what we do is you first get your household income, net, whatever comes in every month, constant. Not a Christmas bonus you're banking on. No, no, it's money that's coming in every month to your household. So in this case, I'm going to use an example of a household that brings in $4,000 a month. And you sit down and you see where you're spending or where your money's going to. Let's look at housing. Let's pretend that this family is paying $1,400 in mortgage or rent. They're paying uh, $50 monthly, HOA fees, and then just another expense that they might have uh, for their house, cleaning, whatever it may be per month. If you add all of them together, the category that says housing, they are spending $1,550 per month. You get that amount and you divide it by your income. In this case, $4,000, and that's how you get your percentage. This family is living beyond their means when it comes to housing. They're at 39%, when we should be between 25 and 35%. Go home, work your budget, see what percentage you're living off of when it comes to housing. Let's, let's do another example. Lower down the section, we have uh, transportation. This, ha this family has two cars, a car payment of uh, $300, a second car payment of $400. They've got to be the newest car. That's what we love. We love our cars. Again, there's nothing wrong with having new cars if you can afford it. Insurance, $150. One of the cars is a Hummer, so it's $200. Uh, $50 for whatever else. When you add everything up together, their total expense on a monthly basis is $1,100. Divide that by your income. They're at 28%. And when it comes to transportation, we should be between 10 and 15%. Church, again, I encourage you. There's no need to have the fancy cars or the big house because all it is is problems. Step back. I realize this. I've done it, lived it. We sold our house. We moved into an apartment. We sold our, our car. And little by little, I was able to breathe. We can't no longer be slaves to our finances. 
But you need to start somewhere. And this is a great tool to start. We can teach, we can preach, we can give you all the tools you need, but it's up to you to be convicted. Ask God to change your heart and you can start the path of living wisely when it comes to your finances. Moving on to our, our passage in verse 11. It says, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? My second, I'm sorry, uh, uh, verse 12, I'm sorry, I apologize, wrong verse. Sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of, of the rich will not let him sleep. My third myth, my third unwise or foolish way of thinking is this. Money brings peace. Money brings peace. We think that money is the answer to have peace in our lives. We think that if we have money, we don't have to uh, worry about how we pay our bills because that's what keeps us up at night. But the truth is, as Solomon says, is that the more you make, the more problems you have, and the less sleep you will have. I remember, again, when I was living beyond my means, I couldn't sleep at night because I had to think and I was tossing and turning, how am I going to maintain this lifestyle? Are you there today? Are you able to sleep? Are you all worried about how are you going to pay this month's rent or the mortgage or the gas or the bills? Money does not solve your problems. Money does not satisfy you. Money does not bring you peace. Making more money probably brings you more struggles than anything. Some of the quotes that I looked up when it comes to finances, these are millionaires, and look what they had to say. John D. Rockefeller said this, I have made millions, but they have not brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt said, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Henry Ford said, I was happier just being a mechanic. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires seldom smile. Money does not bring peace. See, there's nothing wrong with money again. But we should be happy. We should be joyful with what we have. Look again at verse 12. He says, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. In other words, laboring is okay. God made us to work. But he should be joyful. We should glorify him with our labor. Whether you make little or you make much, be happy. Be content. He's giving you just what you need. I love this proverb. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says this. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with a food that is needed, needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Solomon's saying is this. 
Father, just give me what I need. I don't want to be rich because if I'm rich, I'm going to think I don't need you anymore, God. And I don't want to be poor, Father, because I'm poor. I'm probably going to steal and disobey you, Father. Just give me what I need and let me rejoice in that. You should be happy where you're at and be able to maintain and live a life within your means and enjoy the fruits of your labor. That's wisdom. That is being wise when it comes to your finances. Be happy. Enjoy. They're all gifts from God. Going to verse 13 through 14, he says this. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. My fourth and final um, foolish way of thinking, or the myth that we think of money is this. Money brings security. Money brings security. See, we see our money as our security. We want to hold on to our money. We think that money is the only thing that can keep us safe. But that is, again, a foolish way of thinking. How many of you today, if you went home after, after grace, after church, and logged onto the computer and checked your bank account, and, you, and all of a sudden there was zero balance, you had zero money, if you found out you'd lost all your money today, how would you react? I'd freak out. I'd be, whoa, because my security is in the money. But we should realize that that's not security. He owns everything. Our security should be on the one who gives us all. We're foolish if we think that it brings security. As a matter of fact, the more you have, the more you have to lose. That is wisdom. We hold to our, our money like nothing else. And Jesus says this, he says, do not store up treasures here on earth. Because thieves will come and take, where moth will come and eat. Lay up your treasures in heaven when none of this can happen. We should use our possessions. We should use what God has given us to glorify him, to further his kingdom. Because everything here will vanish. I remember that. And I hate to be repeating myself, but I want to use my example to maybe touch one of your hearts to realize that you can start living wisely. I remember that my biggest thing was to pass on the money that I would make to my children. I want to leave my children rich, that the business that I had started, pass it on to them so they would be satisfied, so they wouldn't have any problems, so they could be happy, so they could be secure. Now I realize that I was a fool for thinking that. See, when we started this series, about five weeks ago, Pastor Chad showed us that the decisions, the unwise decisions we made have consequences in our lives. So not only for us, but our loved ones as well. And that hit home to me. That Sunday when we first started the series, I went home and I sat my family in front of me and I humbly, humbly just came before them, especially speaking to my boys. I said, I am sorry. I've been a fool the way I've handled my relationships. I've been a fool the way I've handled my finances. And I know I have put stress and burden on you in the past, 
because before I was not the father you needed me to be, because before I was longing for other things. I was worried, I had problems, and I know that that stress, those problems, that anxiety, I passed on to you and I apologized. But I said this, I said, boys, I hope that now I'm an example of how you should live. I hope now I'm an example that seeking him is number one in your hearts. And not only that, that you can turn to his word for wisdom, because I will continue to fail you, but he will never let you down. Two weeks later, my wife told me that my oldest had a project to do. He's a freshman in high school. And he had to write this paper, this essay. And the teacher told him, told the students, he said, write a paper on somebody who's done uh, things to change this world. Somebody that has influenced this world and how it has influenced you personally. And my wife hands me over the paper. And the paper that my son wrote was about his father. And as I read that paper, I was amazed. See, that paper said how great a dad I was, how good looking I was, what a great coach I was, how much he loved the fact that I loved the Steelers. (laughs) But in bold, and the main point of his paper was this, he's been influential to me because if it wasn't for my father, I would have never accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said, probably if it wasn't for my dad, none of us in the family would have eternal security with him. And I told my wife, my job is done. Because I realize now that money's not important. What I leave for them concerning finances, it doesn't matter. What I've left for them, God's worth, God's truth, That matters. That is eternal. That is security. What are you longing for? What do you want to leave behind for your family? What do you want your children to think about you? Think about it. Think about what truly is important. Because everything else pales into comparison when it comes to turning to him for all our security and all that we have. Verses 15 through 17, Solomon goes on, he says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This, he says, also is grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who tolls for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. Guys, we came into this world with nothing. We are going to live with nothing. As we came into the world, we too shall leave. Everything else in between is what counts. Everything else that we do within this short life that we have should matter. Money is not the priority. He is or should be our priority. What you do with your resources, what you do with your time, what you do with the gifts that God has given you, what are you doing to further his kingdom? That is a priority. I remember 
when our business was booming, my brother and I had that business, and uh, my grandfather, he, he would invite us to eat with him once a month. He was old in age, and we did. We'd make time to go and sit with him any time during the week and had lunch. And he would ask us, how's it going? And my brother and I would just share with him. He was 92 years old. And we share with him, well, we've got this, this we've got this new account coming up, but we might be losing this. I've got to go to Monterrey, and we've got to be in Mexico next month. We're just hustling, hustling, and sit back and look at us like, you fools. See, we were longing for all these things, and he just sit back and smile. And then he stopped and said, whoa, 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 what about your family? How are they? How much time are you spending with them? And we would just be quiet. He'd say, that's what's important. Everything else is vanity. I realize now that he was wise. He had lived that life before, and he was looking back at the life he lived in us. And he was saying, wake up, wise up. Put your priorities on what's important. Money is not important. Even Solomon himself in Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 11 says this, I consider all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon, the richest man that lived, said, after all I've done, after all I worked, everything that I've possessed, everything I've gained, for what? It's vanity. There is nothing under the sun. Church, we need to wise up. We need to wise up when it comes to our finances. Finally, verses 18 through 20, we finish this passage. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This, he says, is a gift of God, for he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Again, Solomon is saying, whether you're making a lot of money or a little bit of money, rejoice. Be happy with the fruits of your labor. Wherever you are now, rejoice in them because what he's giving you is a gift. Be happy. Don't want more money. Don't think money will be the solution. Is living within our means, is thanking him, being thankful for what we have at this current time. Again, let's start being wise. Let's, let's listen to God's word and, and start applying what he's telling us today. If you need a change, if you want a change in your life when it comes to your finances, you need to do something different. Because if you expect different results by doing the same thing, that's insanity. We need a change. Imagine a church. Imagine a church that did change, that did commit to changing when it came to their finances, that did commit to say, enough is enough. I want to have control of my finances. I don't want my finances to control me. I want to be able to be thankful for what God has given me. I want to be able to enjoy the fruits of my labor. Imagine a church 
that would turn to him and say, you know what, money, possessions, they will never satisfy me. I know that only he can satisfy my needs. Imagine a church that realized that the problem we have really is a sin problem. Imagine a church that would turn to him and, and trust in him that what he did for you at the cross took care of that sin problem. Because God became human. He came to live a perfect life. And he obediently went to the cross to solve the sin problem that you had and that I have. Once you put your trust in him, then your sins are forgiven. Imagine a church that did not seek after peace for money, but seeked after peace for the only one that could truly give you peace. Jesus says, come to me, all those who labor, all those who uh, are worried, and I will give you peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Turn to him for your peace, for your satisfaction. Repent of your sins. Finally, imagine a church that had security in the only person that can offer eternal security. Imagine a church that put all their trust in what he had done for us or has done for us at the cross, and we felt the security of him. That no matter what financial problems you're going through, no matter what struggles lay ahead, you be secure in his hand. Imagine a church that would see that, feel that, how others would look at us and say, I want what they have. That everything that we do points to him. Church, today is the day. Ask God to reveal to you where you can lay off things that you don't need. Ask God to give you the courage and sit down and work on your budget. And then once you see it, act on it. He wants you to enjoy what you have. Feel the peace. Release that burden. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we humbly come to you knowing that we are so sinful, Father. We are in desperate need of your intervention, Father. We've blown it so much, Lord, when it comes to both our relationship and our finances, Father. But Lord, I ask that today we commit to starting again. Father, because we know that you are in control of everything, Father. Let us trust in you and not put our trust in material things, not put our trust in our finances, our money, our, our wealth, Father, but put our trust in you. Lord, today we ask that we become free of the burden that we have caused, Father. Father, instill in our hearts that it's never too late to start change, Father. Lord, it's never too late to be wise. Lord, again, I ask that we just listen to you, that you convict us, Father, that you help us, surround us by any necessary things that we need to do to help us in this direction, Father. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.